I had a very strange childhood. Had the worst case any doctor had ever seen. My job is to keep healing. So that is the story. We all have remarkable stories within us. Stories of adversity, challenges, triumphs, and ultimately of healing. This is Your Health, Your Story, the podcast. It's really amazing to see how biohacking and the emerging field of integrative medicine are being pioneered by a strong female presence. The community of women supporting women to be their healthiest versions is incredible to see. Today's guest is one of those pioneers. Leaving behind a career as a brand strategist, she traveled the world extensively to discover how our daily habits and behaviors affect the way we show up in the world. She's a high-performance maven, master breathwork guide, nutritional specialist, certified professional fitness trainer, and cold exposure coach with a focus on guiding women to optimal health. This is the story of Warrior Woman Mode with Kristen Weitzel. You know, Kristen, thank you so much for being on the show. And I want to start where I've started with a few other guests is the name you put behind yourself in Warrior Woman. And I remember having Brandon, who is Holistic Savage on, I don't know if you know him and other, and I was like, hey, tell me about Holistic Savage. And now I got it to ask, tell me about Warrior Woman, why you went to that name for the brand of everything. Yeah, for sure. Warrior Woman is, it's also an interesting question in the sense of how people have responded to that name. Uh, My innate sensibility was, I felt like, just to speak strategically around the name, that Warrior was sort of this the yin to the yang of woman to warrior. Warrior was this like strong, confident, steadfast part that exists and lives inside my body and my being as a female on this planet. And that woman was an innate sensibility around my femininity and maybe my softer side and and the, the balance of the two, which is something I think we work on a lot as females. And I think a lot of the feedback I get is like, people are like, you're a warrior woman. And like, it's all about like the the hard, tough skin, shell exterior, the going hard, the Jocko Willing vibe and and all of that. And I'm down. I'm into that. (laughs) And I think that that pervades a lot of the work that I do in my personality. And in some ways, maybe hasn't served me as well as a human being on this planet. This like warrior energy all the time being juxtaposed against my feminine energy. And that's the cool part of my story, right? If you're talking about, if we look back at the things that have happened in my life, I continue to learn throughout the platform of where I can incorporate my softer side and my sensitivity as a female and in trajectory to that, how I can work with women to balance the two halves that we all have within our own, you know, body, brain and being. And so what's been interesting for me is to kind of manage that and understand when we dig into what my why, what I'm doing the work for. It's because we are as women, females is predominantly who I work with. I put a lot of men in ice baths and breath work and things like that, but predominantly I'm working with females on their health goals. And I am always beating the drum around, we are equally as sensitive as we are powerful. And if we don't treat our bodies with a level of sensitivity to that, then we will, we will fail and we will not be as healthy as we can be when it comes to being optimally well. And it's something that is reflected in the lack of research. It's getting better. Yes, there's more research around women, but reflected in the lack of research, reflected in the way that we are scheduling and clocking our days uh, in the office or remotely or however we're working. The go hard philosophy, which yes, can serve us in some moments, but stems a bit more from that 24-hour clock that may traditionally have been more male-driven. 
And so just figuring out where we can balance intuition with science and, and all of that together is, is sort of the derivative of the, the name warrior woman mode. The people who tell me the brand name is the wackiest, they'll, they'll say, this is kind of the weirdest brand name. It's pretty aggressive. It's very feminist. Are men. They think it's like a feminist thing. And it's like, I'm really not actually a feminist. I mean, I'm pro-women, I'm pro-man, but I'm not, I'm not banging the drum necessarily of, of feminism on a traditional platform sense. So that's what it's all about. Yeah, no, and I love it because there is a balance. There's a law of polarity to everything, right? Yeah. There is a yin and a yang. You cannot look at one thing without the other. There is no heat without cold, no good without bad, all of that. And you have to embrace that. And I think that's what health a lot of that is about, embracing the balance of everything. Finding yourself not always in a black and white, but the 50 shades of gray, as they say, right? <laughs> All of those. That's that's where we need to look. And right now, as a society, we really are looking black and white to the furthest blacks and the, you know, the lightest whites of everything. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about your story about how you came into biohacking health and everything, because you start off in the corporate world and it was a sudden shift, right? Tell me about that. Yeah, I, I was in the corporate world. I, I've always been, since I was a young kid, I was a dancer. I, this is a story I've told a lot, so I can just synopsize it. But it's like, I was a dancer. I was I was watching women with body dysmorphia. I was having a little bit of my own because in ballet, it was like, how tiny can you be and how light and floaty and airy can you can you perform in the same way? And many women were like under eating and there's all those challenges that come with it. So my curiosity was initially sparked because I wanted to be able to eat food and still have a physique that felt like I could be strong and graceful and, you know, petite enough that back in the day, then it was like, you needed to be as petite as possible. Right. So, um, some unhealthy behaviors in there, some curiosity was sparked. I started dancing when I was five. So it's like, you know, very socialized and, then I sort of became a little curious food consumer when it came to lifestyle eating choices. I was trying um, the diamond, like food combining and then, you know, juicing. I was like, had a juicer at 17, 18 years old, juicing vegetable juice only. I was definitely the weird kid in high school. And then even as I went into the world of uh, work and corporate and all of that, I was consistently curious, um, getting out of ballet at some point, uh, mostly because I developed into a very shapely female that was not quite acceptable for that. Um, back in the day, again, it's very different now. And then I really went into corporate uh, America where I loved working on branding and I loved working with a lot of consumer packaged goods. It was interesting to me, but the whole time I was collecting all these certifications, I became a yoga teacher. And then I learned about um, Mark Sisson. I worked a lot with him and like his primal coaching as that grew and understanding paleo and then drinking butter coffee in the office and everyone saying, you're going to die young with a heart attack <laughs> and bulletproof lifestyle and all of those things. And so as I wove those, those pieces together, I was really discovering the early days of biohacking when Dave first sort of coined the phrase, Dave Asprey, of course, we're talking about. And I felt like this is awesome. And part of my innate nature of, uh, I was a tomboy growing up, even in the mix of dancing ballet and just really feeling like I was super alpha energy since I was a little kid. My mother said to me, Recently, I was always dropping off at these birthday parties thinking they'd be like this great thing for you to like meet all these friends. And it'd be like, you'd have the one gift and you'd show up, you'd be the only girl there. <laughs> and it was like all boys and me. And there's a lot of that energy in my life that I've continued to kind of navigate in my world because my corporate job was like 18 men in the first division I ever worked in and me. And that was um, a communication challenge and a growth opportunity. And many things existed in that. So part of that is an important piece of the story because as I was working and around so many men, I started realizing that I had to completely shift my style of communication and the way that I worked to be able to um, succeed. 
And understanding that, and later on when I managed women, I realized I had almost overcorrected. And so I felt like there's this gap in the world where we're like figuring out how to communicate as females. And then I saw that gap in biohacking because it was very male dominated the first five or seven years or so of that, of that culture existing. And I thought, wow, there's really an open space for someone who's going to come in, who is a woman, is female physiologically, born a woman, and then can work with women and start to understand and peel back the layers of where we're missing research and where we can do things better and according to our bodies. And and that has been the trajectory. Uh, The sharp ending of my corporate job was just when I decided, hey, it's time for me to leave a different legacy than um, branding consumer packaged goods. And, And it was ironic in some way because all of my friends, when I said, I'm leaving... I'm calling it quits. I'm going to do all of this health and biohacking full time. They were all like, yeah, finally. Like I thought it was going to be a big <laughs> shock and they, they all kind of knew, you know, they're, and it was like, why didn't you tell me sooner guys? And they're like, we tried to. So that's, that's kind they of the saw story. It coming. Yeah, they saw it coming. And it's, this is my, um, as my friend Logan Gelbrick wrote in his book, um, going right. He uses the term, what's your peak expression. And I feel like the work that I'm doing now, working with women, working with cold breath, recovery, health, fitness is really my peak expression in the world. And I, I'm so happy I get to do the work. Yeah, I found that so many people that follow their passions, there's there's kind of like two paths that really lead them into it. Number one is curiosity, and it is that itch of the passion. There is something else out there, right? And number two is frustration. I know in my father's case, he was a conventional doctor that was just frustrated with the results, saying there's got to be something better. I didn't get into medicine to give people crutches and basically see him still be sick and get sicker year after year. And that's what led him in that way. So it's like, you know, you kind of hear that in both sides. As much as you love what you did, there's a little frustration, a little curiosity to push you towards that. And I think people need to explore that and not talk themselves out of that more, which you see a lot of. Yeah. Now, when you work with women, and let's start with something, one of the biggest subjects that everyone likes to talk about, diet. What is your recommended diet? Do you have something strict that you go by or do you go individualize with women? And what do you see that should be focused on differently when you're talking about a woman's diet versus a man's diet? I focus relatively individually because I believe firmly that, that we're all sort of an end of one experiment. We all have different guts. We all have different lab work that can come back. Some of the women I work with will, don't have lab work they're showing up with and perhaps they can't even afford it in some cases, right? Healthcare systems are different all over the world. So we work within the confines and the, the the budgetary and lab work that we can, but just I individualize it as much as humanly possible. I think there are some basic tenets I discuss. You know, what it's really about healthy eating, clean eating, shopping the periphery of the grocery store, if you will, and getting fresh whole foods as much as possible, the least amount of packaged goods, really understanding how to meal prep for yourself. And then um, specifically, you know, for women, I think the thing that we need to think about quite often is many, many women, 90, 85, 90% of the women that show up to me are under eating, especially protein. And the other women that come into the play who are like athletes may be doing the alpha thing where they're like, I'm ketogenic hundred percent of the time, all the time, I'm going to crush it. Uh, you know, all the things. And I, let me, let me preface this by saying everyone's going to be able to have some space in the light eating lifestyle. I hate the word diet world that they want to be more involved in. You want to be carnivore. You want to, there are cases to be made for all of those things. But I, I personally, I cycle paleo and keto. If we're going to give it a, a name, a label. I'm not always perfectly doing that because I also believe when someone cooks you a big, beautiful meal, or like you go to your friend's house and their grandma's like, Hey, Nana has made her sauce and her pasta from scratch and sweat into the recipe. There's another level of joy that comes from sharing that meal, as long as you don't have any allergies to it. 
And so for women, the two big things that come up is restriction and shame around food. And I, I want us all to give ourselves some grace And that doesn't mean let ourselves off the hook and and be bratty and say, I'm going to eat this pizza because intuitively it feels good to have seven slices, but you know, no offense to pizza, but also how do we manage this? How do we take sovereignty for what we're putting in our bodies? Because how we feed ourselves is how we're going to feel. Yeah. And a big thing you mentioned there is how, right? You just said it twice right there. How you eat is important because like you said, I know too many people that lean towards something they heard, whether it's veganism, carnivore, and they eat with a lot of guilt. They eat where they're not truly digesting. They eat it when they're on the run in between stressful situations with the news on in the background. They eat it without truly chewing it and savoring it. And that's how, right? I, I know so many people get fixated on the what, what do I eat? I'm very specific. I don't eat this. I do eat. And if I do eat that, I feel very guilty but they don't focus on the how and that quality portion of it as well. It's not all meat is the same, not all meat, not all kale is bad either. It's like, (laughs) I get it. Kale is BS in a lot of people's minds, but to some it's, it could be a very good nourishing meal. So. Yeah. I love that. You're saying that also just as a, like a quick anecdote, I I had a client who was like, I really, I will work with you. I'll do everything you say, but I'm never going to give up Cheetos. And like Cheetos, like, let's be clear, not really a health food. Yeah. And so, but you know, people have, have, have anchors. And so you need to let them have them sometimes. And we pulled back the Cheeto, you know, rations uh, a bit and um, everything else was like perfectly on point. And by the end of the program, you know, she said, this was the number one thing in my world. But as I sat down, as I breathe, because your nervous system is connected to eating, if you're, if you're doing it well, you're downregulating your nervous system. You're taking a bit of time. You're chewing your food. And I think when you put Cheetos in and you do those things, you start to realize cerebrally or physically, this is like tastes a little chemically, or maybe this isn't as satisfying as I thought before. Right. And so that that's a really nice trajectory to see when people slow down to, to eat or just find ways to do it. Um, yeah. I work with their body. Absolutely. And you mentioned another thing there in breathing. And you do a lot of work in breath work. So mm-hmm. I, I wanted to hear what forms of breath work do you engage in and teach with your clients? Because there is so much out there right now from Wim Hof, you know, and it, when you get into an overwhelmed situation of information, usually people don't even take it in. They just continue on and just say, hey, it's too much. I didn't know whether to do. You take a Wim Hof, this, that, the box breathing. And I just said, I'm just going to breathe normally, which is usually shallow breathing and not good breathing. So what do you teach? Yeah. Great question. Um, it's been something I've been contemplating for a long time because I've studied with Patrick McEwen. That's all the oxygen advantage yep. Keiko and XPT, which is Laird and Gabby and performance breathing um, and, and just a multitude of styles. And I have a mentor, Casper Vandermeulen, who's out of Amsterdam, who I've done two plus years of mentorship. Great name. He's amazing. He's an amazing, <laughs> really great guy. And he's super down to earth. And I think we have some of the same blood in us when it comes to breath work, which is, you know, we're on the shoulders of giants of people who've been teaching different styles, transformational people like Dan Brule have been around for years in the, in this industry, Tumo breathing, you know, the beautiful other part of this question is I just launched a breath and cold instructor course. I'm doing the first one here in Austin next weekend, and we'll continue to start. I've had a couple of people call me and say, will you come travel to my venue? We'll get some people together. The beautiful question about breath is number one, of course, we want to be regulating ourselves to nasal breathing, the predominant part of our day. 
And we can talk more about that. But the second piece is, you know, when I'm teaching breath work, when I'm taking people on a breath work journey, if I'm doing that here, because I teach community classes as well, I want people to get a little taste of everything. I want them to have some state shifts in their mind, some temperature shifts in their body, and some understanding of the science, right? Many people come to the breathwork class, they just want to go on a ride, and that's beautiful. They want to, or they want to de stress. Perfect. And the people who are getting more involved in my training around breath and around cold exposure are people who are just like even more curious. They're not even all coaches, they're just really curious. And they're like, let me go to this instructor training course because I want to understand the way I breathe. Certain styles will create certain responses in your body, your immune system, your state, your pH levels, and your nervous system, right? And that's what it's about is understanding enough that you can choose different people's styles of breathing, i.e. Wim Hof or Tumo breathing or box breathing, if we're just talking about patterning, and recognize who it comes from. Sometimes it doesn't come from anyone. Like box breathing has been around for a long time. There's like military and certain cadences that are accredited to them, but what is the style? Who's it coming from? Let's pay a little homage to the lineage. And then also, how can I, this is the most important part. How can I use this technique to make this state happen in my body? I want to calm down. I want to rev up. I want to release some anxiety. I need to, you know, manage my trauma. Like what is the style to use? And not a lot of people are talking about that. And so I wanted to create a platform that talks about that, you know, where people want to hear it. Right. Of course. Do you think there's some intuition to it, to knowing what is the best style for you that you have to tap into and looking at all this? Yeah, absolutely. It's a little bit like dating. I also think, um, you know, there's, it is like dating the breathing styles because box, you and I may do like a four box or a six box or an eight box or a three, seven, eight or a Wim Hof super ventilated breath. And you might have a, a different response in your body for various different reasons, where you're breathing, what's going on with your biomechanics, all of that. And so there is some intuition on like, a, I like this, it feels good or it doesn't feel good. And then incorporating that and in what you see in a state shift. The second part of that is, I think it's really important that people date around yeah. and explore different things because there are many styles that people get very attached to, and then they're doing it all the time. And just as an example, when we're doing big hyperventilative, superventilated breathing as the only structure we do every day, I think given today's society, what we're going through globally, the anxiety, the depression, the stress, we are actually like, we're microdosing more stress on top of stress with that kind of breath work. And so let's find ways to be able to de-stress ourselves and downregulate as well so that we can sort of play on that seesaw and not be doing a disservice to our bodies, you know? And that that's important. That's important to me. And that's, look, I Casper studied, Casper, my mentor was Wim Hof's right-hand man for years. Certainly I understand that style. And it's beautiful. And Wim Hof has raised the bar on everybody. You know, he and James Nestor have really gotten people to go, okay, breath is a thing. And it's so, it's like either on trend or popular, or who cares what it is? People are breathing better. And I love that. And so then where do we go from here, right? There are many different styles and, and respect and homage to those gentlemen who are sharing so much work. And also it's our responsibility if we're going to be optimizing our health to figure out the best ways to breathe for our body daily. And given our context of our life. Are you a fan of mouth taping? <laughs> yeah, I do like mouth taping. I yeah. think uh, I, I work with some clients who have like sleep apnea and asthma, and I've seen a lot of really success points. I also will, I always like to mention, hey, there are some cases where you're not going to mouth tape out of the gate, i.e. sleep apnea if you're on a machine and, and things like that. But I, I mouth tape not every night, but I mouth tape when I feel like I fall off and my body re-regulates to being like breathing through my mouth a bit more in the evening or if I have higher stress days, or if I'm getting shorter hours of sleep, 
and I will mouth tape because I want every breath to count. You know, every minute of sleep, I want to be in deeper sleep, deeper REM and, and getting all the best rest I can because that is the foundation of recovery. And we are only as fit as what we can recover from, right? Yeah, absolutely. And what type of tape are you using? Because this is the hard part that I found, you know, even reading James Esther's Breathe and everything. It's like, I tried this one and I did this one and maybe it's a little personalized, but I've recommended it. And I got back the next day. I tried it. It was pulling on my mouth at night. I couldn't sleep with it. It was like, okay, maybe use the wrong tape. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, I think I used a new tape that someone had sent me um, recently. It was like, it's like, it's skin color and all the things. I I won't even remember the name and I shouldn't even mention probably, but I like, if I put it on and I had a moment at like three or four in the morning where I woke up and I just like needed to remove the tape. Mm. And it was like, it felt coming off like duct tape. So you got to be careful. It was made for mouth taping for sleeping at night, but I think it was actually best suited for like, sometimes I'll mouth tape when I'm working out. And so that's what it's, when you're a little sweaty, I think that's the kind it makes sense for not sleeping. So my recommendations are always, if people are nervous or want to start with like the gateway to mouth taping, it's worth spending a little more money. I have no affiliation, but with this brand called Somnifix, just happens to be one I really like has a little escape valve in case you get nervous, comes off, goes on really easily, doesn't ever take off your lifts. It's great. And then I switched over to like a 3M tape, something you can get in the drugstore super simply, tear a little piece. You don't have to tape yourself up like crazy. Sometimes I do it, you know, portrait style. And I will usually stick it onto my forearm once and peel it off and then put it on my mouth just to make sure it's not too sticky. Good advice. Good advice. Simple and inexpensive, you know? Absolutely. It's it's always about simplicity is key here. Now talking yeah. about sleep, that that's a huge one. And of course, everyone's kind of, you know, looking at that more and more circadian rhythms, the importance of sleep, not just for rest, but also for immunity, for everything. Let's be yeah. honest. Yeah. What are some of the things you're looking at and the biohacks you engage in when we're talking about sleep quality? Yeah. Uh, there are a couple of things that I'm really passionate about using. Uh, the first one is more is your building into your morning routine, getting some light into your eyes because your best night of sleep ever starts with what happens in the first thing in the morning. So, so it's like an Andrew Huberman thing as well. He talks about this a lot, which is great to have the science behind it, but getting outside 10 minutes or so in the morning sun before 9am, even if you're in a weird place in the planet, just trying to get the refracted light into your eyeballs, because that's what sets your circadian rhythm for the entire day. So that for me is a big piece of that. How do I get outside in my little backyard here and get some sunlight before 9 a.m.? And then um, when I'm going to bed throughout the day, different things are going on. I'll use some, if I have crappy weather, I'll use some red light panels, devices. I have a flex beam um, supplementation. I'm sort of big on, but when I get to nighttime, I'm always taking magnesium, which I think is a simple tool we all should be taking uh, daily. I typically take it at night. I use a weighted blanket because for me that I feel more swaddled and sort of helps out. Um, I'm also fortunate enough to have an Uller. I mean, I'm a biohacker. So I'm like, you got the Uller under the sheet. I have the weighted blanket. I have like a sleep crown. I have all the different fun things to try. But one of the best things I do at night that helps me settle in, there's two things. And that is I just get, I get cozy. I do all the red, I have red lights in my house and blue blocking glasses. But when I get into bed, I do some downregulated breath work. Typically five minutes or less, I'm almost asleep with it. And I do that breath work with a, I put, I have a device that's like a portable device. You don't have to have it plugged in called a flex beam. And it is red light therapy sort of targeted. And I will put it over my chest or on my belly and I will do uh, breath work with it. So five, 10 minutes, the cycle of flex beam, it runs 10 minutes. It shuts off automatically if I've fallen asleep. 
And it's just like, it's a slightly warm and it's giving sort of that red light benefit to my body, my chest, my breathing, my biomechanics. And it's a little tactile feedback so that you can kind of downregulate really well. The breath and the flex beam are a really big part of my nighttime routine. You know, and there's a hundred other things we could talk about, but just, I think getting rest at the same time, getting the light in the morning and then having a good, just a bedtime thing where you begin to unwind uh, are really important. I think that's it. So much of society right now puts on the TV, right? Keeps the lights on, does the opposite of what anyone would tell you before they try and go to sleep. And then they usually pop a pill or something. And that's, that's, you know, and then in the morning they're groggy. So they take in a lot of caffeine and it's, it's, it's such a terrible system, right? That cycle is awful (laughs) for health. And yet we become so accustomed to it. It's that's the norm. And we're the weirdos of the world. Totally. That are, I was yeah. just going to say like the only, the only, the only weird thing that happens is like when I, when it, the sun goes down and I turn on all the red lights in my house, I'm always wondering what my neighbors think. Like My house just <laughs> goes red and there must be like, what is going on over there in that house? You know, I mean, I'm in Austin. So maybe there's some neighbors that get it, but yeah, I try to match the bulbs with the, with what's happening with the sun and get the white light on. I'm not a TV watcher much. Yeah, it's really funny because I was talking to Dr. James DiNicolantonio yesterday and he said the same thing. We're the only neighborhood that like when the sun goes down, the lights are off and people are like knocking to see if we're okay, if something happened at night. Most people <laughs> don't get it, but you're right. If I were there, I'd be like, oh, Kristen's getting ready to go to sleep. <laughs> you know? but yeah, totally. And the I rest of the world. Here, I'm always like, people are going to be like, is this like a red light district thing? <laughs> <laughs> An like, homage to Amsterdam, right? <laughs> know, right? So wild. So wild, yeah. So let's talk about, because we talked about breath work being really important to it, but another thing you're really into and you love to do is is the ice part of it, the ice work, Mm -hmm. the cold immersion, as they say. And, you know, I saw a post from Dave Asprey the other day talking about cold immersion. It's not for everyone. And I have to agree because a lot of the people that we deal with, and of course, at the medical center are in a immunocompromised, very, you know, disease state, chronic disease for a number of years. And Many of them try to implement biohacks before their bodies are ready for it outside. Mm -hmm. And that puts their immune system even higher stress levels than it already was weekend. And sometimes it backfires. So I want to hear your thoughts before we get into, let's say, you know, the real biohacking of cold immersion. But where is it that you sort of draw the line on how to utilize cold immersion, ice plunges, all of that when you're speaking with clients? Yeah. I think there's two forks, two prongs to this fork. One is with women. I'm more conservative uh, in general. I think males can tolerate cold exposure. Listen, if we're just talking about general population, males can tolerate cold exposure uh, more frequently, if not daily, if they want to, you know, I I don't want to, the science is really interesting in the cold exposure world, right? It's all over the map, temperature, type of water, ice, cold showers, frozen river, like all of it. And then lots of men in those studies and you know, I think that the jury is still out on a lot of it, not all of it. We know it has benefits, but I think because of what I've seen anecdotally, I've put over a thousand, almost not over 2000 people on the ice at this point already, predominantly females. Anecdotally, what I'm seeing, what other female coaches, coaching women are seeing is that there is some dysregulation, especially if you're starting with a hormone dysregulation that can continue to happen. And so I just say to women, like, you don't need to go in every day. Like, like if, if the, if the thing is that could be bad, well, let's not do it. Right. Let's start with, and let's, let's also make sure like we're not eating McDonald's every day. If we're ice plunging, because like, Hey, you know, like let's get the baseline stuff, right. Sleep and food and, and all that, but cold exposure overall, 
I'm a fan of, obviously. Um, I'm a little more conservative with women. And I think that there is a case to be made for sure. I think you have a lot um, more expertise in the area as well. Of like some, when your allostatic load, when your stress bucket is full, when and that could be with dis-ease, with hyper amounts of stress in your body, it some days and some weeks and some parts of your life maybe not optimal to go, hey, let me get into the cult because you're just adding an extra layer of stress. I want to, I'm going to use this example. And I like, at some point, Joe Rogan's going to hear me talk about this and be like, what's this girl's problem? But I love Joe Rogan, right? I, I really vibe with that dude energy. That's just, you know, a part of my personality. I think he brings a lot of good to the world. I also think there's a responsibility when you have a platform of 7 million people or more and globally to when you get in an ice bath and you're badass and you got MMA background and you're going to muscle through it, all of that's cool in some way. But when you have a huge platform to go muscle through 20 minutes in cold, it's not what we're trying to do in cold is minimum effective dose, right? So like maybe someone has some disease states where actually ice isn't great for them and a cold shower, which is much more manageable is something that they can do 30 seconds, et cetera, and start feeling like they're incorporating that. Joe Rogan, love him. 20 minutes in the ice is that's point of diminishing returns. Yeah. It's not minimum effective dose. And I always say this too. If he ever called me and said, get in a tub next to me, let's have a contest. I sure shoot and would, because that would be like a fun adventure race with Joe Rogan. Like, you know, who wouldn't have fun? And, and is he eliciting that it's, it's okay to do ice and it can have benefits and he's spreading the beautiful word of cold exposure but I want people to not feel like they have to do like, no, you don't need to do 20 minutes. You could do three. You do your dose, your specific dose. And that's really important for me because it's it's societal pressure and the muscling, muscling through of ice in the athlete world that stops a lot of females from wanting to do it because it looks scary. And I, I'm hyper aware of that because it makes women, uh, men too, I'm sure, but makes women that I'm working with even more nervous to go in in the first place. And so it's important to say out loud, the exposure dose only needs to be what you need. And that's, that's something you have to feel out and work with your doctor if you have some conditions. But I do also want to say, and this is, you know, there isn't a lot of research around this, but we watch, we watch people with some autoimmune conditions, those of us who are in the cold coaching world, it be in sort of a stage of the game where they're like, I don't have nowhere else to turn. I have Hashimoto's, I have Renaud's. Um, you know, Western doctors and many people, and quite often I'm like, you know, you need to talk to your doctor first, but we're not advising that because it's could be dangerous. But there are people that are deciding in their own sovereignty to say, look, I'm going to try ice exposure, cold exposure, ice baths to see of their own volition. And they're actually, I would never use the word cure, but I would say they are have mitigating symptoms and seeing big benefit, especially females. We're seeing so many females show up. I'm sure you see this all the time. Autoimmune used to be like, an exception. And now it's the rule. Like women show up to me at least half the time with some autoimmune diagnosis. And so I'm not saying it's for everyone, but I do think that there are some things in the upregulation of your cellular health that can help that from the ice bath. You know, I'm always cautious. Like I, I hope that you appreciate that as someone who's, you know, in medicine that I'm cautious with it, but I do think it is a fantastic tool. And I ice bath two to three times a week. I have one here and I, I, I see a lot of tremendous benefit. Yeah, I think it's incredibly beneficial. But as you said, things like Joe Rogan, where we take on this bravado as more is better, is not necessarily true at all. And a lot of times more is worse, right? It's not the body can't take it. It's a stressor. You put it in too much stress. Yes, you could train yourself over time. But for so many, that's not going to be beneficial, especially for anyone who's in a disease state again. 
And unfortunately, not everyone is Joe Rogan. Not everyone is, you know, in a biohacking state where they're optimized their health. About 80% of us are chronically ill. Those are the facts. They go into an ice plunge for 20 minutes. They come out with pneumonia sometimes. Like that's the truth sometimes, but you can get yourself there. It's just inch by inch go there. Try a hot, cold shower first. That's great for lymphatic drainage anyway. And don't go too cold, right? Just go a little cold, you'll feel it. And then go hot. That's wonderful. ANS regulation, lymphatic drainage. That's great. We recommend doing that. Yeah. And this brings up a question for me because I've been hearing a lot. You know, I was on Dave's show. I have a lot of biohackers that have come to me and said, I have some conditions, so-and-so, you know, I've been using this and the peptides and everything else. And I go, you're using everything. You don't know what's even working anymore. You're just, you're just throwing everything at it. And you're going in this like revolving circle of, I got better. I got worse. I got better. Then I'm trying this. And it just seems sometimes like, I feel like maybe people need to take a step back from the magnitude of biohacking and just start with fundamentals, right? I'd love to hear your thoughts on this because as someone who's a true biohacker, really involved in it, do you ever like have to stop someone and say, you should cut back a little bit? Like you should not be taking the 50 supplements, wearing like five different aura rings on, <laughs> strapped up, like you're part cyborg almost. <laughs> and un- like it's wonderful and you're tracking everything, but you're not getting results. Yeah, uh, happens a lot. I mean, a little it's the pot calling the kettle black for me because I do all <laughs> the extras because this is my I'm a biohacking coach. Like, yeah. So I will try lots of things, but I also like, I, I titrate's the wrong word, but I'll use it anyway. I sort of titrate when I'm wearing what and what I'm doing with supplements. And I take things out to see if things are working. If I'm adding something new, it's one thing. Right now I'm on a protocol that's like a 12 week fitness protocol. And I've taken out all of their strength training, except this one machine. And that leads me to say this one thing, which I think is a very important thing that gets overlooked a lot in the biohacking space. And that is like, how do we take care of our muscle building and cardiovascular capacity when it comes to fitness and training exercise. Uh, a lot of times it's like, I'm doing this and I'm on the red light bed and I'm, I'm, I'm hacking all the things, but then like, I can't do, I don't know how to back squat a barbell. It doesn't have to specifically be back squatting a barbell, right? Kettlebells, whatever heavy is, you know, but we're not lifting enough heavy shit and we're not pushing our edges from a stress adaptation point when it comes to like getting a little sweat on and training. And that is I think imperative. I think it can be done effectively and efficiently. You don't need to be two hours a day in the gym, especially women come to me and say, I don't want to get big. It's like, you'd have to work out like 90 minutes, two hours a day. Your eating would have to be like perfectly on point if you get, if you want to get huge or, or be on a stage, you know, but we need to figure out how to work out and exercise better and more efficiently. And I, one of the things I speak about specifically to women is that there is a specific segment of our cycle that we can build more muscle during these like eight to 10 day window and a little different for every woman, depending on the length of your cycle, but we need to be able to capitalize on the anti-catabolic non-muscle deteriorating nature of estrogen and use the heck out of it to be able to build muscle because muscle helps us live longer, better, helps us step up the curb safely, helps us burn calories at rest. And that's a, a key imperative. And part of this protocol that I'm working on now is I'm working with an ARX. Do you know this machine? Adaptive Resistance Exercise. I'm doing a 12-week protocol twice a week. And I do all of the super um, hard max effort, eccentric and concentric work. So pushes and pulls, basically positives and negatives, whatever we want to call it. 
on the 10 days of my cycle, I'm in it to win it and I'm like going hard. And then around the cycle, I'm doing one day of that hard work and one day that's positives only. Still a challenging workout, but you're talking about one of the workouts just under half an hour. The other one's about 15 minutes. It's like, and and that's the only strength training I'm doing. And then I have a couple ice baths a week and one day of cardio. That's all I'm allowing myself. And that's the protocol, like no cheating the game, right? My food is already on point. I have, you know, specific things, things I'm doing. And I even decided like one event a month, I'm going to go out and drink because if I'm going to talk to women dealing with like muscle deterioration or sarcopenia, you know, all of that, I have to be the normal woman. So even though I don't drink a lot anymore, I, last night I was like, okay, I'm gonna have two cocktails. This is amazing. You know? <laughs> so being able to sort of put these tools to the test is part of what I do in the world. And then getting them into people's hands, if I believe in them is another thing. And your question is very well suited. Like, yes, people are doing too many things. Like there's a baseline of sleep. There's a baseline of, let's call it movement. We can call it fitness or, or what have you. It's not just steps, but there's a baseline of general mobility, a baseline of pushing heavy things, pushing, pulling, you know, squatting heavy things, and really just, you know, understanding what whole foods feel like. And if we're getting that right, maybe we start some, some supplements. You know, I, I, I don't know all of your stance on supplements, but I categorize supplementation in three categories, the must haves, what you need generally, according to the global population and and studies and your, your lab work, the nice to haves, which is like, Hmm, here's some extras that could actually support some issues going on in my system. And then the last 10%, it's like nasal and Nasal NAD, you don't need to take it if you don't have enough vitamin D. Like, let's get the baseline done well first, right? And so a lot of people want to do the fancy, sexy shit. A lot of people in the beginning, it was like Ben Greenfield's putting red light on his testicles. This is awesome. (laughs) And women are like, "Uh, I don't want to be a biohacker. I'm not doing that. You know, it's all edgy and, you know, made us feel like there was a lot of risk. I think that's why there were less women in the beginning, you know? Yeah. And I think that a maxim of like applying a lot of things can work for people that have already gone through the fundamentals and started to learn about themselves. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people rush into the space in a place where they're not yet even doing the fundamentals and just applying a lot and not seeing the right results. It's like you go to the gym, if you're completely out of shape, for many years, and you just start doing the really complex isometric ones. It's like, dude, just do push-ups first. Do some squats. Like, stop hurting yourself with these weird ones that, like, Mister Olympia doesn't even do. But it, when you when you build up, you could add on, and then you do get a good understanding of yourself and how you react to it. So it's not that I'm against the application of many things. Listen, I work in medicine, and our whole approach is we want a very comprehensive suite of different therapeutic solutions to help. The more is better sometimes, but we want to use the smallest amount on each person and get the maximal results. Yeah. So there is that sort of maximum of everything. Yes. Have a big toolkit, but don't use all the tools every single day, right? (laughs) Or at once. That's a little bit wild. Your body can't handle it. Now we talked about supplements. You broke those three down and, and my whole take on supplements is they are supplemental normally. Now, of course, things have changed in the world where we're not going to get everything we need probably from our food source. We are depleting ourselves more and more because of everything around toxins, everything we've introduced into our lives to make it more convenient. At the same time, there was another flip side to it and also made us a little bit sicker and a little bit more depleted. But I want to hear about what are your main, that number one uh, that you're talking about the necessary supplements. What are those in your mind? 
Yeah. I mean, if I have someone like uh, a client who comes to me without labs, I mean, I love, you know, I like to, I like to work with, I work with medical practitioners to do lab work on people that come to me and are willing to, and some people show up already. Like I ran all these labs, let's look at them. But um, whether someone comes to me, you know, if someone comes to me without labs, some of the things, and what I see quite often are, are some standards, right? There's like a vitamin D deficiency that exists. There is a, a magnesium deficiency in some cases. My must-haves for people always say to me, I got this, I got 35 bucks or a hundred bucks. Like, what do I buy? <laughs> people ask all the time. And I'm like, well, that's a massive question and totally <laughs> contextual, but let me tell you, let me try anyway. So for me, um, and, and I will say a little bit, this is somewhat specific to women, one of them anyway, but, um, there's like a big three or four. I would say that the magnesium is like really high up on my list because it's responsible for, it's a cofactor in over 600 systemic functions in the body. I'm a big proponent of the right kinds of magnesium. Oddly enough, I don't know if you've seen this, but like I go into someone's uh, supplement cabinet and they have like magnesium oxide, which is like not the jam. It's just not really the good one to use. And so um, getting the right magnesium and getting that in daily, I think is, is an excellent choice. Uh, vitamin D, given what's going on in the world, D3, K2 mix, because we want it to, to actually buy, get you know absorbed into your body. And then um, I am a big fan of uh, essential amino acids, especially for females, because we are under eating protein and it's a little bit of a way to biohack that. So um, I've used a lot of different brands There's a, in the world. you know, I, I tend to use like Keon, like Brent, Ben's brand. I just really like those aminos specifically, how they I can feel them. I've seen good success with clients, but I think getting a good quality brand of any kind in um, essential amino acids is, is imperative for people, especially people who are training, right? We're trying to recover. And then the one other thing that I think is a slight bit more specific to women, because we are we tend to be more sensitive and we're more susceptible to anxiety and depression, things like that, is I'm always amazed that there's not more conversation around, it's getting better, but like, about adaptogens, specifically the two most studied adaptogens tend to be rhodiola and ashwagandha. And the studies behind them in these like double blind placebo trials with and against, you know, put up against the antidepressants and anti-anxiety meds of all different kinds, they, they, they really do have some key success points in some cases, even like beating out those meds. And I'm not suggesting people go off their meds. Okay. But there are, they have not a lot of problems with contraindications and rhodiola specifically, um, I really, a lot of my females are on it right now. The world is in a really challenging place. People are stressed, people are depressed. And I think rhodiola is a very natural way. And the studies seem to show this, that it's a natural way to sort of regulate a little bit of that emotionality that's going on. Um, give us a little bit more sort of space to feel like we're, we're standing on our own two feet in a kind of confident way. And, and it doesn't, none of it feels like um, pharmaceutical, right? There's no edginess. There's no contraindications. It is rhodiola is an adaptogenic flower. It's basically a dried flower. And so um, there's enough research on it that it's, it's pretty banging. And ashwagandha, a lot of people are on as well. And I think that those are just because they're studied so well, because they're available, because they're not, uh, they're non-pharmaceutical and don't have a lot of contraindications. They seem generally safe for most people. So um, I love those. And, and, and I, I'm on rhodiola myself right now. I just, I take a rhodiola, it keeps me a bit even. And the, the time I really notice it is when I, uh, like I'll run out and I'll be like two days and I won't have taken it because it cycles through your body pretty quickly. So I'll be like, hmm, something's a little off. And if it's not my cycle, some sort of things going on with like my menstrual cycle, et cetera, then I'm like, oh, I'm out of rhodiola. I ordered it. It's not here yet. So it, it, you kind of feel it in a way, but it's not, it's not overwhelming in any way, shape or form. 
Yeah, especially in this day age, you need those adaptogens. You need a little bit of extra support. The stress will also, you know, deplete you of other things. It'll it'll start to impact your immune system. So I'm I'm all for supplementation because of the times we're in. If you were to go back in time in a little bit, I would say it's not as necessary as we know. Our ancestors didn't really have pills to pop and <laughs> all that. So, and they, yeah. they got by, but, you know, I wanted to ask you this because I'm curious as to what are your clients most interested? What are their concerns? Is it weight loss? Is it dealing with stress and depression, especially right now? Is there something that comes up a little bit more than the others? Yeah, it still exists that most females are showing up to me saying, I want to, uh, I want to lose weight, which I don't ever like to repeat that because it's really not about weight. It's about losing body fat or recompositioning the body. I like to reframe it because I want women to understand that fat and muscle can weigh the same and look totally different on our bodies. And the number on the scale, like that obsession is just like something that should have died with 1986. I don't want that for any of us. But weight, uh, weight and body composition and feeling good in, in my clothes has sort of become a newer way to talk about it. I have a lot of women say, I just want to feel good in my clothes. I like that that's transitioning there. I think that's still a, a body recomp weight loss conversation. But on the rise is like, I feel, I feel lonely and I feel stressed. There's a lot of that and there are ways to mitigate that. And a lot of it is mindset. So I, I end up working a lot with breath, which is the reverse. You know, you can... The remote control of the nervous system is our breath and our nervous system is what dictates how we feel quite often. I mean, all the time, basically. And so how we use our nervous system and it correlates to how we use our breath. I end up doing a lot of work as I've evolved in my career with women around mindset and using breath and using some of these ancient practices of biohacks to get them to feel better. And just like, it's really nice to have someone in your corner. This is why I say, you know, why I have coaches someone in your corner who's like cheering you on and, and actually reminding you that you have to give yourself some self-love practices. And part of that is like in the mirror or in your kitchen or how you feel in the world, it's not speaking to yourself negatively, right? It's like positive affirmations are one thing, but just women, and I'm generalizing, men do this, I'm sure as well, but women, a lot of times we're just talking to ourselves in the mirror or the proverbial mirror, like as we're walking through our lives, like just we're really beating up on ourselves. We're really hard on ourselves. We're not giving ourselves any grace. And it adds this just like extra layer of stress and dislike that our cells are listening to, that our body energetically is like, okay, I suck, or this looks bad on me, or like, whatever, my legs are too fat or whatever shit we're telling ourselves that we would never let our friends get away with talking about themselves that way. Yeah. Minding your thoughts is so important on both sides. And I can imagine, especially in today's society, where either even young women are looking at the projections of themselves, looking in the mirror, looking at all these things are constantly on their phone. Listen, years ago, you know, it was different. We didn't have constant bombardment. It was, you'd have to wait for the magazine to come or this and that. Now it's literally in your hand at all times. <laughs> the Photoshopped images of women yeah. that we put ourselves up to that other women do and men too. It's, it's not a, a single sex type of problem, but I can imagine that's incredibly difficult and I loved hearing that you have coach, you're a coach that has coaches because it should be like that, right? You never end being a student. And the fact that you have your own coaches, what are some of the greatest tips you've gotten from those coaches as you continue your own coaching career? Yeah. Uh, 
I will talk about Dan Garner, uh, who's a nutrition mentor of mine. And he's the one who always will say, you're only as fit as what you can recover from. And that is a big line that I've taken on. I say it even more than he does because it really resonated with me. It really resonated in the place of women being as sensitive as we are powerful because we need to recover even more than men. On average, we need about half an hour more sleep a night just to regulate our systems. We need to be able to produce HGH in a way that's different than guys. We have you know, more sensitive to stress and anxiety, all those things I talked about. And so that's, that's really important. Um, he also gave me a really, another big lesson. And this was, you know, this isn't a mentor and a mentorship relationship, but a lesson where I was like, I asking him for more, like, I want more time. I want more handholding. I want more of, you know, X, Y, and Z or whatever I was asking him for in the moment. And he, he wrote me a, a very short and a very sweet, um, brief email. But the, the point of it was the big, piece of advice was like the push you need right now is pushing yourself. And I think like as a coach, you get, and as a, as a professional who's dealing with clients, you know, in this way and patience and stuff, you get this, right. You, we have a moment. It's not necessarily about imposter syndrome. It's about, but I'm going to go do the big next thing in my career, the big scary thing. I'm going to take on this really challenging client. I need you to hold my hand. And sometimes we reach a point where you actually don't need the person to hold your hand. It's just your safety blanket. You've got to take the leap and the net will appear. And I think that that applies to anyone who's listening to this in their in their health journey, right? There are moments you have to have people to support you, mentors and coaches and all of that, doctors, medical professionals, all of those things. You have to have some combine that with some sovereignty and knowing intuitively, because I've had to advocate with medical professionals who have been wrong about a condition with me before. So we have to advocate in our sovereignty. And then we really have to say, is this a moment? that I need to take the leap, that I need to say, I'm nervous about the ice bath. I feel like I've been working out in my house and I'm still intimidated to go to the, this gym or this class, but I'm going to go. I'm going to go and, and, and lean in, right? And push myself because that's something that will, we, we're breaking our own glass ceiling in that moment. We're like, okay, because then you do the scary thing and it's a hard thing, but then you're like, oh, it actually wasn't so hard. Why did I wait so long and talk myself out of this? So the push you need is pushing yourself is a big thing. Um, I just love Dan. He's, he's a really, he's an amazing nutrition, sports nutritionist, and he's an amazing professional athlete coach. And I learned tons from him about female physiology. How I was like, I'm so annoyed. You're this man teaching me about my, my physiology that I don't even know about. So he's been one of the most profound leaders that I've worked with. And then Casper's given me quite a bit of expansion in my breathwork practice, confidence and ability to be able to work with all different types of people around the breathwork space. Um, and that includes sort of working with him in ways that I start to understand my own bullshit, my own storytelling, my own, like where I think I'm not good enough or I don't do this thing, or this is how my life is always going to take a trajectory. And, and he, him sort of using breath in the nervous system more than anything to say, why don't you explore that a little? And having me, you know, really having some big realizations that I think even talk therapy would have taken five more years to conquer. So those are a couple of people. Um, and the last person I like to mention, because I've had a lot of male mentors because the biohacking space and the fitness world. But one woman who really changed my life a lot was Emily Fletcher. She's a Ziva Meditation is her brand. And she's a really, really beautiful meditation female leader you know, in that world who's, who's made meditation approachable. And I don't know if you know her, but her work is, is great. Um, in the sense of sometimes we look at meditation like, ooh, it's like, oh, I have to be on the top of a mountain and an ashen field and like half naked. And like, how does that, it's like, we just, we don't need to do any of that. We can just sit and be with our thoughts and we can't stop our thoughts. Just like we can't stop our heart from beating. We can't stop our thoughts from spinning. So let's sit with them 
And especially in this day and age, right? Like not to be woo adjacent or two in the woo universe, but we need to be able to meditate on like where the world is going and how we actually really feel. And so Emily says all the time, I use this in the ice bath too. We don't meditate. We don't get in the ice to get good at life. We don't meditate to, we don't meditate to get good at meditation or the ice. We meditate to get good at life, right? These practices we put in, these biohacks are not about, I'm going to take 65 pills and be the awesomest supplementer. We're, we're trying to get good at life. We're trying to, to unpa- unpack all of the stuff that we've been, we've carried with us thus far ancestrally and in our own bodies and lives and families. Yeah. It's really an amazing thing when people reach out, build a community and shrine themselves around others that uplift each other. I found a lot in medicine. And I think this is the big difference, I think, between biohacking and medicine from what I've seen, because I've been to so many medical conferences in the past growing up around doctors at medical conferences around the world. And then probably in the last five or so years, getting more into the biohacking realm and going to these conferences like the one in Miami we were at is that the the community there and the support system is much better. Whereas I think in medicine, it's still very, it's still very ego driven, still very me. And, you know, you try and reach out to other people, but then you quickly, you know, go a different route and do it yourself and position as your technique. And I'm not saying that there isn't collaboration and there isn't a movement, but a lot of the times in medicine, it is about, you know, you, you might know this, you go to one doctor, they say something, another doctor says something else. And suddenly it's a chest bumping conversation. It's, it's, you know, oh, you can't listen to them. They don't know this, or they didn't graduate from here. Instead of the two doctors coming together and saying, Hey, I think you got a point. Maybe we could try this or that. No one really communicates like that in medicine. And it's unfortunate. Yeah. I think there's a, some of that I've seen, and I've been fortunate enough to not see tons of that, but I think you see that probably you're on the inside track on that. And also, you know, there's a really interesting thing about uh, the way that those conversations are happening, like the incentives, let's say like it's a misincentivization of what to recommend and how to recommend to patients and clients, whether that be getting your name on the paper, the research or like pharmaceutical, or I think there's some weird incentives in there that surely I don't have a peek behind the curtain to see. But it's why it's so important that people like you and exist in the world, people who are more open-minded, who are cross, cross-pollinating with all the biohacking and medicine and, you know, and, and really understanding. And this is why, you know, just like meeting and seeing your work is so, I just want to honor that for a second. And, and you know, the way that Freddie, Freddie Kimmel, who's my biohacking bestie here in Austin and who you, who you know well, is just always, you know, singing your praises because it's like someone he can communicate with that feels like, cares about what's happening with the people on the planet in a way that it's like, even if you have a moment to go, okay, but my ego is here. You're like, but it's more important to get this person healthy. And so like, I just want to honor that, you know, in your work as well, because that's, that's what this, this gig is all about for us, right? We get to get people healthy. And so how do we do that in a way that's serving them? Yeah. Thank you for that. And and Freddie is amazing. I love what you said. We get to do this. Whereas I think a lot of the medical field sees it the other way. You get to have my, you know, treatment plan here. <laughs> and when it, it should be honored that this is uh, an amazing type of field to be in because you're actually helping people live their lives fully if done correctly. And, and it's the same thing with biohack. And that's why I see this bridging the gap of medicine and biohack. And I want it to become that. So many of the things we apply here for tough conditions are the same things biohackers are applying to optimize their health. In reality, medicine should always be about that. Optimization of health, preventing disease, living long, living happy. And that whole picture is so important. Like I, I, I'm amazed at sometimes the silos that exist 
So the, the way I had a really bad parasite, I had trichotrichnura, a parasite, an amoeba for two and a half years. People were like, all I was advocating hard for me because I was like falling over from a level two to a level nine pain in a split second in the hospital. They're giving me morphine, all these things. And it was, I had said to nurses and doctors, I've been to these six countries. I've eaten guinea pig in Peru. Like, are we sure this isn't a thing? And it, I had to navigate all this stuff to finally find this like coming out of retirement infectious disease specialist. But I was told gallbladder. I was told, take it out. I was given endoscopy, an endoscopy, a colonoscopy, everything. And yeah. But no, no right hand was talking to the left hand when it came to my medical team or anyone who I had found. I was dragging the paperwork from one to the next. And I don't, I, I imagine you still see that now. It just, it felt like a very scary time. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why, I, you know, I hear those stories in the medical community so much. Freddie knows that story. That's how we connect in so many people. It's unfortunately a trend, but at the same time, it's fortunate because that trend is leading people to something new. And that is integrative medicine. That is biohacking. That's all of these things coming together and really uplifting people. So yeah, awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm actually really excited as much as that is still going on, that kind of everyone's separated and you're kind of being passed around and what's really happening with me, there is a way out of that. And we see that now. Now you have a podcast as well, Well Power, that is there. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what being a host has taught you? Because it's taught me a lot and I'm still learning every day. <laughs> it taught me so much. It's sort of like the best um, master's level education without the certificate I could have ever gotten, I think. I, I mean, I've had Dave on, uh, which was really, it was on an honor as well, just because I'd followed his work so much. And I've had a lot of interaction with him around Upgrade Labs and that whole program as I've been involved in helping them. But just, you know, having... Having that talk time with someone who really understands, Dr. Scott Scher was on and talked to me about hyperbarics. It was like something, there's there's always refinements. Um, part of the reason I'm doing the ARX protocol is because I got to get some time with like the sports science guy and the chief technology officer there to say, okay, like I understand like how I like my eggs kind of cooked, but like, how do I really, like what's the detail here? And so then as you start to learn more and as a big fitness enthusiast, right, I speak enough of the CrossFit style language and things like that, that I can understand sports science, but that machine is a whole different ball game, right? Red light therapy, same thing. Like I had Sarah Turner on, she's a foremost, foremost expert in red light therapy and she's become a great friend. And we, we build these bonds of friendships. And I think one hand washes the other. It's not all about exchange all the time. It's, it's just that we build these friends and then we build this network and then we get this education from each other and we can say, hey, I just had this client or saw this study or what do you think? Or perimenopausal things are going on or, you know, all of that. And, and then it just makes us all better, you know? And so my, you know, my first couple podcasts, uh, I, I alternate between short form and long form so that every listener can get kind of what they want, like a big snackable content or a longer interview. But um, it's made me a better listener. It's made me get into um, researching some topics that are always a rabbit hole, but it reminds me quite often that spending an hour less on um, posting Instagram posts, even though they can be um, educational, is it's the thing I don't want to give up is the the study of this because it is science is always changing, opinions are all out there, like in you know millions of opinions, and and there's just like finding the tribe, finding the people that you go to as key researchers and key informants and key mentors, I think is, is really, it's a beautiful opportunity to be able to get some mentorship from people who, you, who may not have a lot of time for you otherwise. Yeah. It gives you time to really connect with someone, pick their brain and really, as you said, listen 
and learn. Because I think so throughout our days, we don't listen enough. We don't just stop. We're always going and kind of consuming, but not in a way where we truly get to the depth of someone to hear their story about how they got here, hear how they suffered a little bit, went through all of the challenges to get to where they are. And it makes you appreciate. I think for me, it's really kind of let me see that we're all humans. We have so many different stories to tell, so many different things to tell. We're all on this floating rock in the middle of the universe trying to do our best. And that's it. And, totally. and we all have to meet each other in different spots and everything. But it's really been an amazing kind of a lesson on life for me to host these and to meet people such as yourself. So I'm incredibly thankful for every single guest such as yourself. And and uh, it's honestly been a great, great experience. And I feel like more people should sit down for like one hour and just ask questions to somebody they don't even know, because you yeah. will start to gain an appreciation. You will learn so much. You know, I, I consider myself quite knowledgeable in medicine and health. And, and still, every time I speak to someone, I'm just like, oh, all right, let me write that down. And yeah, then you go yeah. into the rabbit hole, right? And you learn more. He's <laughs> like, what was that name? And yeah, because you yeah. never stop learning. That's the thing. Like we said, you have a coat. You are always the student. And I think that's the beautiful piece. And, and if anyone could get anything out of that, it is to constantly be the curious student in it all. And just approach mm-hmm. thing like a child and just ask those questions of why, why, why over and over <laughs> and annoy more people. Yeah. Kristen, where can people learn more about you? I know you have a class coming up in Austin and everything. Tell us where we can learn more. Yeah. The easiest way to follow me is on Instagram at Warrior Woman Mode. That's like an easy clickable. Take out your phone right now and be like, hey, at Warrior Woman Mode. Uh, well Power Podcast has another handle. It's all pretty much pushed through Warrior Woman Mode and warriorwomanmode.com. I do have a a cold and breath for men and women, a cold and breath instructor course coming up in Austin. I travel and teach that course. This is something I've just launched as well as an online course that is specific for women that you can find through these, these handles and channels that is called wow factor. And that's women optimizing wellness. It is a 10 module course. It is lifetime access. And they get um, a year of coaching with me in group calls And there is a retreat coming up where a lot of those women are meeting in person, a small group, intimate, safely in Austin, in a house that's clean to like the nth degree with all the regulations we need to do. But that's happening in February 18, 19, 20. Um, So if this airs before that and you haven't checked it out, you should. It's It's a great opportunity with some other experts who I've met on my podcast coming into town and really talking to us about women's health specifically, how we can do things differently. And I've rented a sauna and I have an ice bath there. So we're going to do full nice. contrast <laughs> exposure. Yeah. For those who are into it. It's great. Amazing. I mean, it sounds like you're quite busy, but helping so many people in this work. So please keep it up. Don't stop. No. And, and thank you so much <laughs> for sharing. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me today. It's nice to um, have some time with you in, in digital person like this. And uh, yeah, I, I won't stop. You don't either. And then uh, anything that you need, anything that the listeners are um, curious about from this conversation. I'm, I'm the only one who answers my DMs, my messages, my emails. So please um, let's stay in touch and I'm available. Love it. Thank you again. Such an empowering message from Kristen. Be sure to check out her Well Power podcast, which blends health and wellness subject matter and shows us just how far we can go into the pursuit of optimal performance. And if you want to be the first to hear about our podcast, get additional material from the guests, and receive cutting-edge information on integrative medicine and how to heal your body, mind, and spirit, sign up for the Innovative Medicine newsletter. 
Just go to InnovativeMedicine.com and in the footer of each page is a form. Just enter your email. We'll be sure to get you the best information on what is bound to be the future of medicine, healing, and wellness. Until next time, continue writing your own healing story.